So here we are at Matthew 26, and the last few times we've been together, we've heard difficult words regarding the return of the Son of Man. Jesus himself has shared these difficult images, these parables, and realities which point to the coming of the kingdom of heaven and, and the end of the age. And, and today, at the beginning of, of chapter 26, we read, Jesus, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he says... As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So what is Passover again? Well, according to the old Strong's Concordance, Passover is a Jewish national festival in memory of that day on which the Jewish fathers preparing to depart from Egypt, the Exodus, were told by God to, to slay and eat a lamb and to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on their doorposts that the angel of death, so that the angel of death, seeing the blood, might pass over the dwelling of these, of these Hebrews. Well, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to be crucified. And, and Jesus has no surprises for his followers regarding what's going to happen to him. Uh, throughout these kingdom encounters, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has tried to remind his disciples about what's to come. And, and not by accident. Christ, the Lamb of God, by what He does for us on the cross, becomes our Passover Lamb. In verse 3, we read, there's a scene change. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. The, the priests and the elders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are bitter enemies. However, they are now united against their greatest threat, who is Jesus. And this, in essence, is a cabal. It's a, it's a secret political faction. And, and, and Matthew tells us that uh, this takes place, this meeting takes place in the palace of the high priest. And some say this is an unofficial meeting. You know, it's off the books, it's off the record. It, uh, you know, political intrigue is certainly nothing new, is it? And they scheme to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival. Or there may be a riot among the people. The leaders, they plot and they scheme the what and the where and the when, what they're going to do, the murder of Jesus. And they're waiting on the where and they're waiting on the when because they know when and where it won't be because of this festival. And they're waiting for the, for the opportune moment. See, all the people would be in the city for the Passover celebration. And, and, and that's eight days long. That's quite a festival. And they're afraid of an uprising. And, and fear of riots and fear of protests and mob activity, that's nothing new. And Jesus is truly the man of the hour. He's, he's treated like a rock star. Everyone knows him. And these religious leaders, they've got to exercise patience and caution. In verse 6 we find that Jesus is in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. Who is Simon? Well, all we know is that he is he has suffered from the skin disease of, of leprosy. And as it seems highly improbable that Jesus and the disciples would be hanging out in the dwelling of a leper, uh, it's safe to assume that this man has been healed by Jesus. Uh, hence the, the invitation to come into his home. And there are several Simons throughout the New Testament. And, and Matthew is letting us know which Simon this is. This is Simon the, the former leper. Well, a woman comes to Jesus in verse 7 with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she pours on his head as he is reclining at the table. 
Who's the woman? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but in John's account of this event in John chapter 12, John identifies the woman as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Well, if it's Sister Mary, then we know her and her sister and her brother to be friends of of Jesus. And so it would be understandable that she would be present. And she brings in this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. And that word for perfume in the original language is myrrh. So this perfume, this myrrh, she, she pours the contents on Jesus' head as he's sitting at the table. Well, it's odd to us. But back in those days, it was an Eastern custom to anoint guests in one's dwelling. And King David himself points to this in that beloved, that well-known 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. David uses the image of being a guest at the Lord's table. When, when, when David says in, in Psalm 23 verse 5 about the Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. But there's more. Way back in Jewish history, anointing is part of the ceremony which the priests who minister in the tabernacle, where they're consecrated, they're, they're set aside, they're purified to, to serve and minister before the Lord. And, and the Lord says this in Exodus 29, verse 4 and following. He says, you will bring Aaron and his sons, and we know Aaron will be the priest. You, you will bring Aaron and, the, and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water, and you shall take garments and put on Aaron the tunic and robe, and there's lots of pieces. And you'll put the turban on Aaron and the crown, and then you will take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And then in Exodus chapter 30, verse 22 and following, we read that the Lord, he speaks to Moses and he says, take for yourself the finest of spices. And there's, there's different ones, and one of those is liquid myrrh. And the Lord says, You shall make from these a holy anointing oil, a fragrant mixture of ointments, the work of a perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. The way this reads, you can tell this is the uncut, pure stuff. This had to have quite an aroma, the way this sounds. And and the Lord says, You shall anoint the tent of meeting with it, the ark of the testimony, every item used in worship, and you will consecrate them, so that they will be most holy. They are set apart. They're purified. Whoever touches them will be set apart, purified, holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrate them, so that they may serve as priests before me. So this is oil, but it's so much, much more. And in Matthew today, it's like Jesus is being consecrated for a holy act, isn't it? Well, in verse 8, the disciples see this. And they are... They are indignant, and that, that's a big word for angry. They're mad. Why this waste, they ask. This perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money given to the poor, they're on it. These guys, they're on it. They are so noble. And whether it's sincere piety or, well, let's be honest. I mean, they're men. They're, they're a flesh, just like we are. And there might be some degree of self-promotion within the ranks. The question is asked, Why this waste? John chapter 12 verse 5 actually says that this vial of perfume is worth a year's wage. Wow, that's an expensive bottle of perfume. 
Aware of this, Jesus says in verse 10, Why are you bothering this woman? She's, she's done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing. He, he knows what the disciples are saying, and we don't know if he hears them murmuring the chatter or if he simply knows. They're embarrassing the woman. They're embarrassing Mary. And Jesus replies to them, Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. And then he says something, I think, odd. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And I wonder when Jesus said this, I wonder if, if he looked around at each disciple. You will not always have me right here beside you. And I would imagine that one of them, you could probably imagine which one, might have sh- shifted uncomfortably in his sandals. He might have felt a little unease. And Jesus says, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And I would imagine, as strange as that sounds to us, that it was received with confused stares and awkward silence. Everyone there in the room, what's he saying? In verse 13, Jesus says, Truly I I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, Throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. A beautiful thing. Wherever this good news, this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. As a witness and a testimony to how she values Jesus. To how she values Jesus. You see, in in John chapter 11, Jesus raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has shown this family his power over death. And so Mary comes with an expensive, extravagant, lavish offering of worship to bring to the Savior. A beautiful thing. We see this beautiful thing of Mary's, now followed up by an awful, ugly thing. In verse 14, we read that one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, goes to the chief priests. Have we seen Judas before in these kingdom encounters in Matthew? Well, we have. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples, and, and we have the roll call. And Matthew lists them, and in the end of verse 4, the last one described is Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. And until today, this is all we see or know of Judas in the Gospel of Matthew. And most of us know who, G- who Judas is. We've known that person or persons who have acted as Judas in our lives. We've all known betrayal, or we will. Judas goes to the chief priests, whom we've just seen a few verses earlier. They're plotting to arrest Jesus, to secretly arrest him and and to murder him. And, And Judas asks, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So, So they counted out for him. They counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. What do we learn about Judas? What do we learn about Judas from this question? What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Well, we see that he's driven to some degree by greed. Maybe he's driven possibly by a by a frustration that that Jesus has not charged in and and reclaimed the kingdom of Israel by force, like a knight on a horse. Maybe Judas is disappointed. Maybe he's dealing with some disillusionment. We don't know all the levels of motivation for Judas. The priests we know have been scheming. They've been trying to ascertain the when and the where. And now they know the how. 30 pieces of silver. 
in the tribal ordinances given by God to Moses and the Israelites in the book of Exodus, as the laws are being set up, after they leave Egypt, the amount of 30 shekels of silver actually comes up. There were legal statutes which dealt with property and personal injury. And in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, we read the following. If an ox gores a male or female servant, the owner of the ox shall give the master of the servant 30 shekels of silver, and the ox will be stoned. 30 shekels is not a real high bounty for Jesus. These religious leaders, they're, they're, not, they're not paying premium. With this pitiful sum, they, in a sense, insult both Jesus and Judas by treating them as property. But we've got to remember, in the, in the widescreen story of salvation, Jesus takes the form of a servant. And the text doesn't tell us every detail, but, but I can imagine you know, they begin to count out the silver for Judas. One, two, three, and you can hear the silver bouncing on the table. Four. And you wonder if, if Judas, if he felt any kind of twinge, any kind of ice water down the spine. Five, six, seven, eight. Do you think that Judas maybe stopped for a moment and thought, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea. Nine, ten, and, and the coins bounce, the shekels bounce, all the way to 30. And we read in verse 16, From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Value. Value. Look at the value which Judas and the religious leaders give to Jesus. What a contrast. What a contrast to how the woman values Jesus. It's, it's a question of esteem, isn't it? And it begs the question of each of us. What do we esteem? What do we esteem? How do we esteem Jesus? Where do we place Jesus on that scale? Obviously, we're here this morning. Obviously, we're tuned in. And, and so we have more than just a little regard for Jesus. But we've seen this woman, we, we've seen Mary pour out this extravagant perfume over, over the Savior. And it's great expense, but it's, it's gone in a flash. You, you, you don't pour it again. You can't, you can't bottle it up as it's poured out. It, it's a one-time deal. Would, would, would you and I do that? Could, could we justify that? Is Jesus worth that one shot to us? A few minutes ago, we, we sang that great classic hymn of the faith, Be Thou My Vision. And the second stanza begins this way. Be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. Jesus, the living word of God. This is how David esteems the word of God in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, verse 7, David writes this. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Listen to how active, listen to how active the Word of God is. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much pure gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
David holds a pretty high value for God's living word. We sang the third verse moments ago of that song, Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always, thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art, first in my heart, the heart. The writer of the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes, he talks of the heart of man. In chapter 3, verse 11, the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, that the Lord has set eternity in the heart of man. Without the possibility that, that man will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. In essence, we each have what amounts to a God-shaped hole in the middle of our hearts, in the middle of our lives. And there's this void which can only be filled by a relationship with Lord. And what a lot of folks don't understand, what a lot of believers, in fact, don't understand is that we were never meant to feel completion here on this side of life without Him. Let me say that one more time. We were never meant to feel completion here on this side of life without Him. But we will attempt to fill that hole with all sorts of vain things and fancies and good things and sometimes maybe not so good things to fill our time and to feel our worth, our value. And we're, we're, we're well-meaning, we're, we're good-intentioned, but it boils down, it boils down to putting things in the space of that God-shaped void, things which don't belong there. And, and when we do that, and we all do it, and when we do it, well, I bet we all know what a sinkhole is. That gaping, yawning hole in the ground or on the highway, which is never stable, and it's never quite filled with sufficiency. Road crews come, fill that hole, but it, it just it's always there. And, and it, it's kind of like the heart. When we look for things to fill that space, things to fill it other than the Lord of the heart, we have a sinkhole. How do we esteem Jesus? W- would you and I be willing to follow Mary's example, a beautiful thing? Jesus said in verse 12, When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And you may remember the story. In John chapter 19, following the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus' body is claimed by Joseph of Arimathea, and he and Nicodemus prepare Jesus' body for burial. And Nicodemus, he brings a mixture of of aloes and myrrh for the burial. So today, when the seal on the alabaster box is broken and the ointment flows out and the pungent smell makes its way throughout the dwelling of Simon, someone might walk in the back of the house and and get a whiff and, and say, Whew, it smells like a funeral home in here. Hmm. The woman, Mary, she she didn't understand all the implications here. But what she did, what she did... She prepares the sacrificial lamb of God for what is coming. And, and, and Jesus says in verse 13, Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What, what this woman does will really outlast anything that anyone else will do. 
think of all the self-worship that we see around us, all the self-worship that happens around us, as a lot of folks will do anything. We'll do anything to become famous for just a few minutes. And the point of fame, after its immediate perks, after its immediate VIP treatment, ultimately, isn't it really about not being forgotten? And it's interesting, Mary wasn't looking for fame. Her act of worship points to the salvation who is coming. And, and her act of adoration, her act of adoration points not just to that salvation, but her act of adoration will be told throughout the world, Jesus says, in memory of her. Her beautiful act of worship, at first tied to the burial of the Savior, will be memorialized in His resurrection. His resurrection, which results in the promise of eternal life for all who would believe. A beautiful thing. Jesus, the suffering servant worth 30 silver shekels in the eyes of those priests, would be pierced through as an atoning sacrifice for all the sins of all the people. He would be pierced through. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 reads this, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. Crushed for our iniquities. Crushed for our sin. We're all sinners, and and the Lord has to be allowed to deal with the sin of you and and the sin of me. And Do we feel conviction about our sin? Jesus, taking our sins to the cross, gave us His righteousness, the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. We need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. And the price, the, the wage of our sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid the price of the wages of our sin. God showed us His great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place that we understand that that as sinners that we deserve death and that we need a Savior... And, and, and we can step past our, our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who, who could die for us and be resurrected to life. If we confess our sin and our need for Him, if we trust in that and we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, we can have a relationship of peace with God. And that, friends, is a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Lord... This morning we, we, see, we see a woman who brought an offering, brought a gift to pour out on her Savior. And it's a gift that Jesus would tell us that would be a story that would be told and, and as a tribute to her. But really, Father, it's a tribute to that sinless Lamb of God who went to the cross for us. By His stripes, by His scourging, We are healed. 
we're thankful for the beautiful thing which Jesus has done for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.